0: I want to welcome our satellite groups, those who watch online and those groups that are meeting around the city uh, going through this Exodus study with us. Thank you guys for being here this morning. We are traveling through the book of Exodus. If you turn, actually I think your book just almost pops open to it because it's right there in the middle, Uh, but there's some notes pages on page 46 and then we're going to be actually in some scripture that you were in this week. And so we've been traveling through the book of Exodus and As you know, we talked last week where Moses uh, was basically, God is like, hey, I want you to go, and I want you to go to Pharaoh, and I want you to tell him to let my people go so that they may worship. Just a little bonus truth for you this morning. What does Jesus set us free for? A lot of times we talk about what he sets us free from, he sets us free from sin, but more importantly, he sets us free for worship. He sets us free to be worshipers because that's what we were made for. We were made to worship the God who created us. And so um, God gives this calling, this commission, and he says, go tell Pharaoh to let my people go. Um, and of course, Moses is like, uh, no, thank you. And please send somebody else. And so this is when maybe this is very beginning. I think in Genesis one, we get the buddy system created with Adam and Eve, but, but God uh, basically puts down, okay, I'm going to give you a buddy to go with you. I'm going to give you Aaron. And so now I want you guys to go and they go and they meet with the elders of the, you know, Israel. And they're like, yes, it's going to be awesome. God's going to set us free and deliver us and And we're going to get to leave this this slavery. But that's not what happens, right? They go to Pharaoh. They say, let my, God, the Lord says, let my people go. So they may um, have a festival, which is basically that they may worship. And Pharaoh's response is, who is the Lord that I should obey him? Because here's part of what's going on here is Pharaoh is considered a god. Pharaoh was considered a god. So he's kind of like, well, (laughs) who's that god? And just as Moses had anticipated, right? He's going to ask, what's your name? Who are you? And sure enough, that's exactly what Pharaoh says. But Pharaoh basically doesn't even care what his name is. He just says, who is he that I'm going to obey him? I'm not. And not only is he not going to obey him, he's going to make it much, much harder on the Israelites. And so what do they do? What do the Israelites do? They come to Moses and to Aaron, right? And they say in Exodus chapter 5 verse 21, they say I love <laughs> Here's Moses who didn't even really want to go anyway, right? And God's given him all this assurance and then he gives him a buddy Aaron, and as uh, they go and then it gets worse and the Israelite leaders those elders, those overseers, they come to Moses and they said, may the Lord look on you and judge you. <laughs> right. You have made us obnoxious to Pharaoh and his officials have put a sword in their hand to kill us. You're, this is a big lie. This is a sham. This is... Yahweh, this God who has sent you, whatever he's told you, it it is not working out as you had told us it's going to work out, right? So what does Moses do? I love the chain of command. Uh, So they go to Moses, and then Moses goes to God. And he says in verse 22, Why, Lord, have you brought trouble on this people? This is not the deal we made. Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, in your name, as your representative, he has brought trouble on this people, and you have not rescued your people at all. You have not done what you said you were going to do. Can you relate? Have you had a season? Maybe you're in a season where you feel like you're seeking God, you're following God as best you know how. And it's not getting better, it's getting worse. How many times I was thinking about this have I had people say to me when they've come to faith in Christ and they've started to follow Jesus and they say, it's gotten worse, because a lot of times what we're selling with Jesus is if you accept Christ into your life, everything will be wonderful, rosy, rainbows, and unicorns. But sometimes it starts to get worse. Sometimes it is. it feels like... Why are all the people not following God? And you even see the psalmist says this in one of the psalms. says, why are those people who don't worship you, everything's going their way? And I'm worshiping you, and I'm seeking to obey you, and I'm seeking to follow you, and it's only getting worse. When I teach the baptism class here at Christian Assembly, I'll often give this warning, because I think somebody gave this warning to me. I was uh, baptized as an infant, but then came to Christ later and got baptized in college and I think somebody told me this when I was baptized in college gave the warning and the reminder that when Jesus gets baptized um, it's this pinnacle moment right Jesus is going to start his public ministry he's baptized God the Father speaks from the heavens and uh, the Holy Spirit comes down and God, the Father says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him, you know, I mean, gives him all the cred. And then it says that Jesus, led by the Spirit, led by God himself, is taken into the wilderness to be tested. Sometimes it gets harder And we talked about this last week, but I kind of want to continue a little bit in this theme of the power of lament. What do they do when it gets harder? They lament. They say what is hard. You see, sometimes what's tempting is to put on a happy face. Oh, God's going to come through. And yes, he is, and there's truth in all of those things, but they go straight to what is true. Because when we don't go straight to what we're experiencing what we're feeling, we miss intimacy and so I love and I, again, I said this last week, but the psalms, which are the the, the psalm is the was the prayer manual for uh, in the old testament it was the and for the New Testament, Jesus would have mem- he would have been taught how to pray in his family through the psalms if you want to learn how to pray you You read the the Psalms, you pray the Psalms. And so the Psalms are filled with these laments. And I just want to read parts of one of them. Psalm 6 says this, and I love the honesty of it. It says, the uh, psalmist or the prayer says, Have mercy on me, Lord, for I am faint. Heal me, heal me, Lord, for my bones are in agony. Have you ever felt that? sometimes just emotionally, our bones just feel an agony. He says, my soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord, how long? How long? How long will I have to pray for this? How long will this go on? How long, O oh Lord? Turn, Lord, and deliver me. Save me because of your unfailing love. Among the dead, no one proclaims your name. Who praises you from the grave? I'm worn out from my groaning. If you've ever been in in a depression, this verse rings so true. I'm worn out from my groaning all night long. I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. I'm just weary. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. They fail because of all my foes. Away from me, all you who do evil. For the Lord has heard my weeping. There begins to be a sense of hope coming up, bubbling up. The Lord has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord accepts my prayers. I'll believe that. I'll trust that. What carries us? What holds us? when it starts to get worse not better and I was I was thinking about this and it's always a good question when you're asking some of these kind of questions is um, what is what does the scripture present about this what do I see in the scripture and so as I was kind of contemplating this and, and going through I do the homework each week, too, even though I wrote it, and then I'm like, oh, that's not very good. But, um, <laughs> but I do it because I want to be with you guys in this, and, uh, <laughs> and it struck me as I was doing, uh, doing the homework uh, in, this week in my own devotionals, I, I began to think about these authors of the Scripture, began to think about the apostles, those leaders of the early church, because what struck me as I thought about them was every one of those 12 apostles uh, was martyred, except for John. They experienced, some of them, really horrific deaths. Uh, church history says that Peter um, was to be crucified and he chose, uh, he said he wanted to If he was to be crucified he needed to be crucified upside down because he didn't feel worthy to die the same death as his savior and uh, so what held these folks what held them that they would continue on faithfully following Jesus faithfully walking in step with him faithfully proclaiming him faithfully coming back to him over and over and over again in prayer what held them to come back because paul says this in second corinthians chapter 2 verse 11 paul gives us a picture of what his journey of an apostle looked like he said i have worked much harder been in prison more frequently i've been flogged more severely And I've been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one, which was what Jesus experienced before his crucifixion. And I won't go into all the details, but it's horrific, of this kind of beating that basically takes you to death, but stops right before it. Three times, he says, I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones, three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from the Gentiles. It doesn't matter, Jews, Gentiles, everybody's coming at me. In danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and I have been naked. Besides everything else, he says, I face the daily pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak with them? Who is led into sin, and I do not inwardly burn with concern for them. This is Paul's journey, and yet what we know of Paul is he continued to cling and be held by God. And so what I wanted to do is actually I just want to go back through the verses that you were in this past week in your devotional time. And I'm just going to read a lot of scripture this morning. I'm going to let the scripture speak more than me because it's so much better. So turn to page 45, and we're going to kind of work our way backwards through, through, um, not all, but some of these verses. And I do want to start in Romans chapter 5, verse 1 through 8. This is Paul speaking, this one who just wrote, you know, we just read of what his journey was like, and he says, therefore... Since you have been justified through faith, uh, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God not only so but we also glory in our sufferings oh what does that even what does that even mean right because we know that suffering produces perseverance perseverance character and character hope and hope hope does not put us to shame because god's love has been poured out god's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What held Paul? The first thing, the love of God held him. The gracious, undeserved outpouring of God's love held Paul. He was stunned by the love of Christ for him. I think sometimes we become kind of bored with the love of Christ for us. Well, of course he loves me. That's his job. I sin, he loves, we're all doing our job. But that was not Paul's attitude. Paul was just, I think, continually stunned and overwhelmed that the God of the universe the Creator of all things would love him, would give his life for him. That that God would be lo- worthy of his own life. We look at Peter in the next passage up from there. Peter, remember Peter, oh the one who's always putting his foot in his mouth, the one who, when Jesus said that he was going to go die for him, Peter's like, "No, you're not." You know, uh, Peter says this in verse 3, he says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's our hope. We have a God who conquered death. We have a hope in the resurrection we have a hope that death will not be the final word he says that he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of jesus christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish spoil or fade this inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all of this, he says, in all of this, this great hope, this great salvation, this great promise of resurrection, this promise of inheritance, in all of this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer You may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. You see, the genuineness of your faith, he's saying to them, oh, this is... is, worth more than gold. This is going to result, if you stay steady, if you stand strong, if you cling to Jesus, in the midst of this suffering, it's going to result in praise, it's going to result in glory, it's going to result in honor. And then verse 8, I've always loved this, because I just picture Peter writing this to them with such affection, he says, though you have not seen him, you love him. And here's Peter who's probably thinking, I saw him. I lived with him. I walked with him. And when the suffering got hard, I denied him. But he's, so, he's just so affirming to them. He's just saying to them, I saw him in my, and what I did was I denied him, but though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you don't see him now, you believe in him. And Peter's thinking, I doubted him. I didn't believe, I wasn't sure. And you are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your soul. What held Peter? This is our second thing. Paul speaks of being held by the love of Christ, and I think here Peter speaks of being held by love for Christ. You love him. You haven't even seen him like I saw him, but you love him. Because you've experienced through his spirit, his beauty, his goodness, some miraculous way. Peter's acknowledging this is a different thing to be a follower of Jesus and to have not necessarily seen him in the flesh. Now, uh, and, And that's what we experience, right? And I think Peter's words are crying out off the pages of Scripture to us. An affirmation. You haven't seen him, but you love him. Something miraculous has happened in you. Something has stirred in you. Something has been changed in you, and you have experienced Christ. The love of Christ holds us. The love for Christ holds us. And then we're going to jump over here to Philippians chapter 3 and this is Paul again and he says in verse 7 whatever were gains to me I now consider lost for the sake of Christ whatever were gains for me I now consider loss for the sake of Christ and he and prior to this he has listed all of these things that are gains to him his reputation his um his uh, his pedigree All these things that have given Paul value and worth in life. And he says, now I consider those loss for the sake of Christ. For what is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord for whose sake I have lost all things. And Paul had lost all things. He had lost that reputation. He had lost his value as as far as the world was concerned, as far as the religious leaders were concerned. He says, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Jesus Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith, this stunned Paul. This was his journey. This was his story. He had been trying to gain righteousness all of his life, even in his persecution of Christians. All of that was a a part of Paul seeking self-righteousness, gaining righteousness And when he encountered Jesus and to know that righteousness could be not earned, not an effort, but a gift granted to him. He says in verse 10, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings. I want to know Christ. I want whatever it is. To join in his sufferings, to experience that with him. Becoming like him in his death. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. To be like Christ in his death is to know resurrection. He speaks in Romans of being held by the love of Christ. Peter speaks of being held by the love for Christ. And here I think Paul is just saying... I've been held by Christ. Christ alone. Christ in me. Christ with me. Christ before me. Christ behind me. Jesus has held me. To be captivated by Jesus. That in the midst of suffering, it's Jesus, it's Jesus, and it's more of Jesus. And it's... The journey of Moses, you can flip over to page 43 in this passage in Hebrews that's so compelling that tells us of our friend Moses, right? Says this of him, and we'll learn more about Moses as we go and we'll see his journey of coming to become this man. Verse 24 says, By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Wow. And what is sin? It's anything that we make a God above God. It can be good things. It can be horrifically horrible, broken, (laughs) debased things. But it can be good things that we say, I have to have this for my life to be okay. This has to change or I can't be okay. All those things that we hold on to, that we cling to. It's really a profound line here he chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin he regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ and of course Moses didn't know the name of Jesus but the word Christ is actually the word for Messiah and he was anticipating an ultimate rescuer he was anticipating the one who would come and make all things right. He was anticipating the one who would ultimately, eternally fulfill the promise given to Abraham. He said he, it says he regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt. I can't even fully get my head around it. He regarded the disgrace of, for, the, for the sake of Christ as of greater value than all the treasures, all the things I think I must have. Because he was looking ahead to his reward. There's this picture of eternal perspective that I, I, I want so desperately for my own life by faith he left egypt not fearing the king's anger he persevered because he saw him who is invisible he had a hope what held moses was the hope of this ultimate reward this ultimate promised land this place where he would go and what held him was that he had seen the one who was invisible The ultimate promise of having been with God to be with God. What is holding you? What is holding me? What is holding us when it gets worse, not better? Would it be the love of God for us? Would we live as loved people by Christ? The freedom of living as loved people is to let go of demanding that everyone and everything else loves me the way I want to be loved. There's freedom in that. Would I be held by my love for Christ? That my love for Jesus would transcend and exceed all other loves. Would I be just held by Jesus? Oh, I count all other things lost for the sake of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Would I be held by the eternal hope that we have in Christ, the promise of a resurrection, the promise of a reward that the God who is invisible to us today will be clearly visible to us the day we see him face to face. The day we step into his land, the ultimate promised land. And I don't have a four point steps to get there. So I'm going to do kind of like what Paul did in Ephesians, because I think he knew this was the most important thing he could pray for that church. He prayed that they would know how high, how wide, how deep is the love of Christ for them. He didn't pray they'd get better. He didn't pray they'd get stronger. He just prayed that they would know, and the word, the language there is actually a language of being, that they would be ambushed by the love of Christ. That they would be so convinced of the love of Christ. So if you might indulge me and just place your palms up. And we would just say, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit come, pour out the love of Christ on me. Pour your love into me in such a way that I wouldn't just believe in it, I would experience it. We receive your love. We accept your love. We rejoice in your love. We take hope in your love. We live in your love. And we love you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.